Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to the Secret Resume Podcast, hosted by me, Melody Moore. In this podcast, we explore the people, places, and experiences that have shaped my guests, those which have influenced who they are as people and where they are in their work life today. You can listen in as we have a rich exploration of often unexamined and undiscussed but very important aspects of their lives, or as I like to call it, their secret resume. My guest today is Shiv Paul. Shiv is an expert in diversity, equity and inclusion, change management and coaching. He calls himself a facilitator of change. In 2020, he founded Caprihan Consulting, a company that specialises in making behavioural change strategies stick at the organisational and individual level through capability building workshops, inclusive culture development and coaching. He was born in India, grew up in Surrey and lived and worked in New York for 15 years before moving back to the UK in 2019. Shiv, thank you so much for joining me. You are my first guest uh, on my podcast, first recording um, of the Secret Resume podcast. And I'm just uh, really excited to talk to you about your story, your secret resume, um, you know, some of the maybe less discussed and less thought about aspects of our life, Mm. not the kinds of things that we would normally talk about in a job interview. Yeah. Um, so yeah, really excited to to learn a little bit more about you today. Mm, well, thank you. I'm very excited to be here. I have a massive grin on my face, <laughs> um, and I'm very excited to be to be your first guest. Fabulous. You know what they say, right? If you can't be best, be first. So at least <laughs> I've got that that bit down. You might be both. <laughs> <laughs> so should we dive straight in? Are let's you do ready it. to so um you and I spoke a little bit before but let's start off with your first event or mm. time in your life that you feel that was really important to you yeah so it so when you and I first chatted about this and you asked me you know what are those sort of seminal moments um I think what I mentioned to you were the first three things that came to mind and I, and I think I understand why now after sort of seeing them a bit more holistically, like what the the thread is between them. But I had mentioned to you, um, you know, what we were calling body transformation. So I've always been, uh, you know, into fitness and, you know, struggled with body image, I think, for a lot of my life, as many people have. Um, But then I think back in sort of 2012-ish or so, um, I really started in earnest on this journey of bodybuilding really and wanted to sort of you know get very fit and very shredded and um sort of over the course of several years managed to really achieve that and I think it taught me a couple of things that um you know my philosophy of life is really around you know creating your own reality and manifestation and and you know so on and so forth um and being very intentional so I think kind of going through that change um was really important for me to understand my own ability to 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 be intentional and to manifest but also to really enjoy the process of things you know I talk a lot to my coaching clients about not being conditional and what I mean by that is not pinning everything on um 
a deliverable or a goal because if you're living in that state then what's happening between the time that you're achieving something right you know what is your state of mind or your state of happiness so it's really important to enjoy the process but i think what happened to me as i as i think about it now when you and i are talking is i was so into the process of changing my body and getting bigger and stronger and more shredded and so on and so forth that there were times when i didn't even really acknowledge the results of what i was achieving i i look back now you know my body does not look now <laughs> what it did like then but um i look back at pictures of myself now when i was really you know sort of super toned and super shredded and I, and i remember at that time that that picture was taken thinking it's it's not enough like i'm not fit enough i'm not shredded enough and that kind of thing i really enjoyed the process of what i was doing but i didn't really kind of value or, or acknowledge the results and i and i think what that taught me is that as much as i really believe you need to enjoy the process of of life or whatever it is that you're engaged in you also need to have an, an acknowledgement of what you're achieving at certain milestones so mm. it's a bit of both right i think the achievement of something is as important as um enjoying the process so you need to have that kind of balance does that make sense yeah absolutely so you weren't enjoying the process no no i was i was i used to love going to work out i'd mm. work out every day with my trainer um he and i had a really good relationship i had lots of trainer friends so we would all train together um i used to love doing meal prep on sunday you know i was <laughs> i was eating a ton of food so all of that part of the subculture of bodybuilding i really loved right um i wouldn't say that i was super passionate about it because i wasn't so invested where i was calorie counting and understood the difference between you know carbs and proteins and all this sort of Your thing macros, that is yeah, the, the, it, it, the phrase i hear yeah, all the time exactly but I was committed, like mm. I was very dedicated and I, and I loved that. I mean, I'm quite a routine person anyway. So all of those parts of that subculture, I really, really enjoyed. Um, but I just didn't ever, I'm not sure that I ever really stopped to kind of realize that it was leading me somewhere, right? You know, um, if that makes sense. What was it that triggered you to to do it in the first place? Where did this desire to bodybuilds come from? You know, it actually was quite random. So, like I say, I've always loved sport, um, primarily tennis, right? And I've always sort of, you know, made an effort to... Physical activity has always been a really important part of my life. I think it really helps to just give me balance. And um, I think I've always always struggled with some element of anxiety since i was young and and i think mm -hmm. i for me physical activity really helps to to manage that and and to alleviate that but it was very random i mean i was living in new york um there was some thing on facebook i don't use facebook anymore but at that time there was a trainer in new york a bodybuilder who was offering a series of free classes using exercise bands and I just thought, oh, that's random that that's come onto my feed. Let me sign up for that. Or not. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes, exactly. As, as we now know. So um, his name was, was Mike Wiedenbach. And he actually now has his own gym. And he's, you know, one best trainer for several years and, and stuff like that. And so I went to his classes. 
and did those for a while. And um, I, I just found them really effective and I really enjoyed them. And then probably about a year went by and I decided I wanted to be more committed to fitness than I had been in the past. And I decided to hire a trainer. So I contacted Mike and asked him if he would train me. And he basically said, you know, I, I can't because I don't really have the time. But I'm going to connect you with a guy called Mo Karajic, who um, was also one of the, the guys that used to come and do these band classes. Mm-hmm. And I started working out with, with Mo. And um, uh, then, you know, that, that just sort of went on for, for several years. And then he and I sort of developed a really close friendship um, I always sort of joke that in terms of my body transformation, what really helped me, it was Mo, Bo and Joe and me. <laughs> and Mo was my trainer. Bo uh, was a, is a, um, she's a really good friend of mine, Dutch girl living in New York who decided to retrain as a personal trainer. And so was uh, like an apprentice of Mo's. So she then started to join our sessions. And then at some point, um, what really made the difference in terms of my uh, changing my body shape was I was much more committed to diet, which I hadn't really been before. And I started to do more cardio. And so I started to do lots of Joe Wicks workouts. This was many years ago. So that's the Joe component. Um, so I always joke about that, but, um, that's really kind of what started me on that journey. And I just found I really enjoyed it. And everything that I learned actually about, fitness and working out I really credit Mo with that I have the same fitness routine now that I did when I was working out with him and it's it works for me so that's that's what sort of started me on that process can you talk a little bit about that you mentioned earlier just about the exercise and anxiety Mm. link can you say a bit more about that and how it helps you yeah I mean I I think I I had a I had a very happy childhood, you know, I'm from a large family, very loving family, but I, but you know, I, I, it was high stress household (laughs) and, um, you know, I mean, I'm 51 now. So I think back then I didn't even really understand what, what stress and anxiety was. I mean, people talk a lot more openly about it now and there's a lot more classification about that. Um, but you know, for me, we, you know, we'd always been quite active as children, which I think we were back then. I mean, there was no internet back then, right? When we were like outside playing and that kind of thing. It makes me sound very, very old. Um, <laughs> but it's true. Yes. It? Yeah. But, you know, I I often will talk to clients about encouraging them to think about what I call a life practice. So what are these components that you need to have in your life to help you feel more balanced than not? And for me... Um, physical activity has just always been one of those, one of those elements that's really important to me. You know, I think your body is designed to move. And so any opportunity you can give it to do that, I think is, is important. And I've tried lots of different, um, types of exercise over the years. Like I'll, I'll pretty much try anything once. Um, and some have stuck with me and some haven't. But, uh, you know, I just think it's a good way to alleviate some some stresses and some sort of, you know, uh, level of anxiety and things like that. And of course, it does it biologically, like there's a physiological component mm-hmm. to that as well. But it's also, I think, mental and, and emotional. So, you know, that's that, I found that that's just always helped me to um, to sort of. 
I think get into a meditative state. Like mm. even now with my workouts, it's a very meditative process for me. I think I, I've also practiced lots of different types of meditation, like lots of different modalities. Mm -hmm. So I'm quite open about what meditation means. But I think physical activity is is a space where you actually can meditate, right? It's space for you to do that yourself. You're on your own um, for the most part. Um, and think about it like if you're running or you're swimming and, and that kind of thing. It's just a good way to kind of mm -hmm. calm the mind, right? And sort of um, uh, stop thought and stop resistant thought, which is the purpose of meditation, obviously. Yeah, yeah, interesting. I do, um, I definitely find that when I'm swimming. Yeah. Um, I love swimming. I had a few, I had some lessons a few years ago to teach me how to swim properly. Yeah. So that I could get into that state because yeah. previously I was a bit like, <gasps> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. properly. Uh, but that's really helped. And pottery is the other thing. Yeah. Like just, um, yeah, I'm so focused on yeah. doing what I need to do and stopping the clay falling over and things. Exactly. Exactly. That's it. Right. Creativity. Anything creative is also meditative for mm -hmm. me. And I think, you know, like you just said, you're just focused on that one next thing or that one next thing. And, and maybe it's the same when you're swimming. Like when I, I've dabbled in, I'm not a long distance runner, but I've done a lot of long distance running in the past. Um, and sort of the way for me to kind of do that was just put one foot in front of the other, right? When you're running a marathon, that's all it is. You're just putting one foot in front of the other. So, which of course that's meditation. You want to bring yourself back to that present moment and really focus on that, uh, which is why I think sport is a good um, a good way for people to get into into a, a, a meditative a mm. meditative state. Rather, I uh, keep hearing this phrase: uh, getting your blues and greens in. Have you heard that? I have not. It's it's a um it's linked to mental health and it's okay. this idea that um you know going outside so the blues is the sky and the greens is the ground. Mm -hmm. Um so actually going outside um and just being outside having a really positive impact on mm. on mental health. Yeah, yeah. I I'm a firm believer in that as well. I think actually any time you can spend in nature mm. is also very meditative and very calming. And I encourage a lot of my clients to do that all the time, right? You know, we all are very busy and particularly now, you know, in the last couple of years, we've really changed the way that we live, work and play. And I think it's even more important now just to extricate yourself from you know, your work situation. If you're working at home, you're probably working more than you than you would have done if you'd been in an office. You need to take those breaks. You need to mix it up a little. So I'm always encouraging people to like, just take a walk around the block for 10 minutes or, you know, if it's summer outside, go and get some sun. And I think it just makes you more productive actually, mm. right? We've probably all been there. I know, I know you and I certainly have been there where you have days where you just have back-to-back -back meetings for like eight, 10 hours. Yeah. And it's like, haven't even actually done any work yet yeah. right so Pandemic you need to was the worst yeah, yeah absolutely yeah so i'm very fond of having 45 minute meetings yes and time in between each so you can actually go for a walk or yes. things like that and i have a dog now that helps too right so he needs to go out and it's sort of yeah also encourages me to yeah. kind of take that time as well. So. Well, it kind of leads us nicely into your next, <laughs> which was not deliberate, but clearly on some level, yeah. it was deliberate on my part to bring you to Ben. 
Yes, Ben. Ben Volio. Is ben his, Volio, um, that is a brilliant name. <laughs> Next, my dog ran up to yes. you when you said his name. Yes, hello, Lyra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ben, he's he's gorgeous. He's adorable. He's five years old now. I got him when he was five months. And he's um, he's a, well, I call him a yellow lab, but he's almost white, actually. You know, he'll change with the seasons. Does he look like a polar bear? <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to show you a picture and you have to tell me what he looks like. He looks like um he looks like the Andrex puppy, you know, oh, like on the toilet paper. Lovely. He's he's very photogenic. I'm I'm hoping one day that he will do adverts or something and stop Stop paying for himself. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. That would be nice. I know, right? (laughs) No, no. But um but yeah, so this was interesting. This was the second thing that when you were asking me about these sort of, you know, significant moments that had shaped me and um and I really believe that Ben came into my life as part of what I was talking about before, you know, creating a reality, manifestation, what you attract and all this sort of thing. And, um, you know, he, so he's five years old now, right? So I got him, um, as I say, when, when he was five months old, but um, I'd been wanting a, a dog for a long time. I was living in New York then. So I was in, I moved to New York in 20, um, 2005 and I was there for 15 years and at that time in consulting I was still traveling quite a lot so when all of that kind of stopped and I wasn't really traveling so much I wanted to get a dog but I thought it was I'd never had dogs before it didn't I was grow just up, gonna say didn't, did you no, grow up with any grow pets? Up with dog, cats mm, mostly cats yeah never had a dog didn't really know what was involved so I ended up getting a rescue cat and um and this is sort of a roundabout way of saying this, but this was interesting. So I found my rescue cat through a friend who said this woman um, needs to get rid of her cat because her son is allergic um, and she's looking for someone to take take it off her hands. I was like, okay, cool. So I called this woman and she came over with the cat and she brought everything that this cat owned. She was coming over for like a weekend visit to see if we'd get on. And she was like, here's the litter, the tray, here are all her toys and all this sort of thing. And I was like, I don't think this woman's coming back. I was like, what if it doesn't work out? Anyway, I had my adorable cat for about eight years before she passed away. And then um, in 2000 and what would have been 17, I guess, um, almost exactly the same thing happened. And actually, when I got my cat, my mum and my sister were visiting me in New York. And so then fast forward to when I got Ben... I'd been looking for a dog and I was sort of manifesting that and imagining that in my daily practice. And I'll, I'll come to that in a second. But my mom and my sister were visiting me for Christmas and a friend of mine said, I've got this friend, uh, they've got a dog, their son's allergic, they need to give up this dog. Is there any chance you'd be interested in um, in taking it on when you're five months old? And I was like, okay, yeah, cool. Like that, that sounds good. So I went to meet him and, you know, we got on and it was exactly the same thing. Um, I just said, well, how does this work? Like, you know, I would like to take him. And they're like, oh, just take him now if you want. I'm like, I don't even, I don't have any like dog equipment or bowls. And they're like, don't worry, we have everything. We'll give you everything. So it was kind of interesting. It followed the same pattern that I got my, of how I got my cat. But, um, but you know, with Ben, there were, two things really that I I sort of want to mention. And one was I had been visualizing and imagining getting a dog 
um, in my life. And I used to literally sit at my table when I was working and imagine him being at my feet. And uh, what I imagined was a sort of mutt dog that had like a, you know, white chest was orange and black. I don't know why I was imagining that. Um, and Ben, of course, doesn't look anything like that at all. But the, the, so the form of my dog is not what I imagined, but the essence of it is even better and greater than I, than I could ever have imagined. Um, but I think it also helped me become, uh, more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, karma in an extent, but, you know, as I said, I'm sort of, you know, I'm quite routine person, but I think when you have a dog and particularly like a young dog, all of that goes out the window, right? You, you know, you, you, you're catering to, to kind of like their demands. It's a complete lifestyle change or, you know, I have a lot of really nice stuff, right? Half of it got chewed <laughs> to crap and eaten and that kind of thing. And I think it just sort of taught me that, you know what? Everything is re pretty much replaceable. These are just material things. You can replace those. Um, so I think it just allowed me to get more perspective and uh, just sort of get, be calmer about um, the fact that things are not always going to turn out the way that you want to and you can't control everything. Mm. So in a way, you have to just surrender to what you, what you can't control and you will feel a greater sense of freedom when, when that's the case. Right. So less attached to your stuff? Yeah, I think so. I think less attached to stuff and just more fluid, right? Mm. Just more relaxed about about things, you know? Um, uh, just if you, you, you know, I used to very much be this type of person. If I, th you know, we were talking about working out and things like that. Like if I, if I missed my quote unquote window to go and work out one day, I'd get really upset about it. I'm like, okay, the whole day is ruined. Right, I can't go and do my workout now. I'll have to readjust everything. But, you know, I think when with Ben, it's like you have to adjust. You have to make those adjustments. I mean, I'm not a parent, but I imagine when you have a child, it's, you know, you have to make similar lifestyle adjustments. You do. Yeah, you can't, right? You know, so you can't do everything the way that you want to or the way that you used to. But actually, that's okay, right? You still get there in the end. You know? Yeah, the world doesn't end. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So definitely was a was a, an eye opener. Um, I mean, you said something um, as well about that um, less attached to the outcome mm. as well, not yeah. just less attached to things, but less. I don't know. It's, yeah. it's like a sense of being less attached to multiple things. Yeah, absolutely. So. You know, I'm, I'm not a Buddhist, but I definitely um, subscribe to a lot of uh, notions in Buddhism. And like I say, I've, I've dabbled in lots of different kind of meditative um, uh, practices and modalities. And I've been on silent retreats and so on and so forth. And a lot of what I really resonate with there, and it is a practice, right? So I can't say that I'm fully there, is this sense of detachment, right? You know, how do you practice that objectivity? you know, are, uh, I'm going to have to paraphrase this, but I think a lot of Buddhist philosophy is is around how um, what frustrates us uh, is, is, is our attachment to 
things or emotions or so on and so forth. And you have to kind of practice that detachment, right? Emotions aren't, aren't necessarily um, good or bad, for example. It's what you decide to interpret them as, right? That feeling of anxiety or that feeling of fear and excitement actually is the same, right? Mm-hmm. If you ask somebody to describe, mm-hmm. you know, what does it feel like when you feel really fearful? And they'll say, well, you know, I can't, I get tongue tied and I can't talk and my hands get clammy and my heart starts beating really fast and I feel really paralyzed. And, and, and very likely if you ask somebody to describe what it feels like to be in love, they would say, well, I get really tongue tied and, you know, my hands get clammy and I feel paralyzed. So, you know, a lot of it's to do with our interpretation. And I think that, I don't know if this is, if this is absolutely accurate, but I think Buddhists will say that the, that path to freedom is to practice not being attached to to these things and that's part of the meditative process right is to remind yourself that you're very present and every single moment is different from the previous moment and you just have to be in in that in that moment so um i i think it's and actually this is something that i talk about to uh my clients a lot right particularly in a coaching perspective is practicing that objectivity and it comes back to, you know, what is it that we can control and what is it that we can't? And often we get really frustrated for two reasons. One, because we are trying to control something that we actually don't have any control mm-hmm. over. And often that's another person and the way that they behave. Um, or it's because we feel that we don't necessarily have control and that's usually over ourselves, right? Over our emotion or our reaction. And actually that's not true right? You know, there is a, I'm going to completely butcher um, Viktor Frankl's quote, so apologies for that. But, you know, there is a space in between the stimulus and the response, response, right? And we we can choose how we want to react. We can't control the stimulus that comes at us, but we can choose how we want to respond to that. Absolutely. So... um, I'm a huge fan of uh, Byron Katie's work, mm. uh, you know, her book, Who Would You Be Without Your Story? I think that's yeah. what it's called. But that, you know, that sense that we are just the stories that we tell ourselves yeah. and we are our set of beliefs. And actually, if we let go of those beliefs, yeah. then um, we're not so frustrated and we're not so angry or, you know, because that they're just beliefs yeah. that we hold. And if we stop thinking that the world ought to be a certain way, and just uh, loving what is is another of her yeah. books. You know, just accept that the world is how it is. Yeah. Then we are um, happier. Yeah, absolutely. And we're not attached to it. Hundred percent. And and you know, you and I have talked about this before, but there's a huge amount of power in that, right? You know, we can choose what we all all beliefs are are practice thoughts. They're just thoughts that we've had so often that they are embedded in us, and we now we call those beliefs, right? And one of the things you and I spoke about previously was it's really important for us to question, do the beliefs that we have about ourselves or about other people or the way that the world works, are they even our own? Mm. Very often they're not, right? You know, we're socialized from a young age to believe certain things about about all of, all of that, our, our environment, you know. Shiv is He's that person. He's that person who's really good at that. He's not really that good at, at X, Y, Z or whatever, whatever it is. So we have to really question whether those beliefs are our own. And the good news is, if they're not, no reason to hang on to them. You can just let them go. Yeah. Um, but that also means if you want to have 
different beliefs or tell a different narrative, you have the you have the power and the choice to to do that. You just yeah. have to believe different things, yeah. and, and that comes through thinking different things. Yeah. Right? Psychologists call them introjects, and they're things that you've just swallowed whole as true. Oh, to the other people's um, beliefs and yeah. thoughts that you've just taken as truth. Yeah, because usually they were a powerful figure in your life—a parent, yeah. or a caregiver, or someone who you had no reason to believe they what they were saying wasn't true. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Introjects. Okay, I didn't know that. There you go. Word for the day. (laughs) Tell me a little bit about, or the two things I just wrote down there, which I thought were really interesting. One is uh, manifestation. Talk to me Mm. about manifestation. So I think from a really young age, um, I was, I wonder if everybody would say this, but, you know, I, I was aware that I was different. And one of the ways in... I mean, there were several ways, but one of the ways in which I was different is I I can articulate this now, but I wouldn't have been able to when I was younger, is that I wasn't sure that the paradigm that we lived in was was worked the way in which I was told that it worked, right? And so I, you and I have talked about attracting, you know, things into your life that, that uh, sort of mirror... Um, you know, what you're thinking and so on and so forth. And so I then sort of got exposed to several books which um, talked about, one was called Living Magically, one was called Stepping into the Magic, and I'm forgetting the name of the woman who wrote those. But it was all around uh, essentially how really we live in a great big energy field that is the universe, and the universe moulds to your desires to your wants to your thoughts actually to what you're thinking and so a lot of it's around how do you tap more into that and that's you know maybe through visualization that's through meditation um, all of these other kinds of practices and things and so in many ways my life journey has been exploring that like what does that mean and how do you actually apply that and so I'm a very big proponent of uh, of manifestation and it's a lot more simple, I think, than I thought it was when I was younger. And, and I think than many people think that it is today. And really, it's just expressing, it's just expressing what, what it is that you want, right? That's obviously the first step. The second step, and, and, and it's quite important to do that in a way that really cements itself in you. So I'm very fond of writing things down, for example, or speaking things out loud, um, you know, there's a lot of power when we when we do that. Um, but, you know, one of the next steps is then to just let it be. And I think that's that's what I have always found to be hardest because you tend to want to control things. Mm-hmm. And we all, not all, but many of us are impatient, right? So we want things to happen quickly. Uh, but there's, there's something to that... Um, you know, that notion of, let's say, spiritual surrender, if you like, or just giving over to let things marinate, right, and, and let them come into being. And then for me, you know, the, the third step probably is, are we ready to receive, right? You know, you have to allow yourself to receive what it is that you've been asked for. It's, it's and this is where cultural nuances also come into play, but it can be quite difficult for us to express what it is that we actually really want or what we really desire, 
but it's another step for when that comes into our life to actually receive it. Mm. Do we trust that? You know, do we really feel deserving of that? Um, are we allowed to to actually have this this mm-hmm. thing that we've wanted for so long to come into our lives? Um, but I do think it's it's it plays into what we just talked about your the the notions you have about your own narrative or your own beliefs and so on and so forth. And you know, I think when we dispense with those, it becomes easier to manifest and to to ask for what it is that you want and then allow yourself to re- to receive it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think, you know, we don't always get what we want, but we get what we need. Right. You know, and again, that's kind of essence and form, right? The, the, the form of our desire may not exactly match what it is that comes into our life. I mean, it may, um, but the, the way that you know, whether it's right or not right for you is essentially is the way that it makes you feel mm-hmm. right does the essence is the essence there of how it makes you feel you had mentioned to me before you know that phrase be careful what you wish yeah. for right because <laughs> often we'll get what we want and we're like oh god actually it's not all that no. you know no well we were talking earlier weren't we about this idea of really striving and and really pushing and and you and I have both worked for a long time in organizations but many people who really keen to progress mm. and, and really pushing for it and you know they'll get to their 30s and they've got to where they wanted to get to yeah. and then and it's like well and then what and also is it all that anyway and it's actually a lot of hard work and it's not giving me yeah. you know more money a bigger car a bigger house whatever it's not giving me what I thought yeah yeah 100 percent. and I think it's it's important for us to define these things for ourselves. what does success mean mm. Why do I want what it is that I'm expressing that I want? You know, you do in your capacity as a coach, right? You probably come across this as well, but you have lots of clients that might say, well, I, you know, I want a million pounds. Okay, well, why do you want a million pounds? Because then it would allow me to do what I want to do and it will give me access to things that I want to do. Okay, well, what you really want is freedom, actually. Mm. You know, it's these sorts of things. Or I've had clients where they will say to me, I'm at this stage of my life and my career, I should be a CEO. I want to be a CEO. Well, why do you want to be a CEO? And actually the reasons are not um, sort of true to to what that role actually requires. It's like, do you know what that actually means to operate at that level? You know, you you won't be sort of invested in doing the kind of work that you're technically good at, right? You'll spend most of your time either selling or managing politics and that kind of thing. It's like, oh, okay, I didn't really realize that. That's really yeah. not what I want. Yeah. So, you know, we have to really define for ourselves what does what does success mean? Yeah. And I think one of the interesting things that you and I had talked about, actually, and we, would, we were talking about in terms of finance, but I think in other, in other ways as well, you don't actually need as much as you think you do. Yeah. You, can, you can really be very happy with a lot less. Uh, and, and I think that's also... When I think about um, what you asked me about in terms of those experiences and things and, um, you know, my fitness journey and then getting Ben, I think that really helped me realize that as well. It's like, I don't actually need as much as I have, right? And why am I invested in having so much anyway? You know, it's important for us to really get underneath what's driving our desires, you know, and I've mentioned this a couple of times here but I talk about it a lot in terms of essence and form right you know is the is the form in which something comes to you 
what you specifically imagined. And like I say, sometimes it might be, um, and sometimes it might not be. But the way that you know whether it's right or not for you is the is really the way that it makes you feel, right? We did a, um, a great exercise on this BME therapy course that mm. I'm doing, and um, we just sat in pairs, and um, we were asking someone what did they really want, and then the question is, well, if you get that, what would you want? Mm. And then you drop again if you get that, what you want. And what it does is it takes you from the sort of heady cognitive uh, beliefs about what you want and what you ought to want, so the thinking into, as we would call it, the source, the sort of deeper knowing yep. of the actual truth yep. of what sits underneath that, Yeah, I want more money, yeah. Well, if you got that, what would you want? What would want? And you you can ask it like five times, yeah. and it really takes you to a yeah a really interesting place um, and a much deeper, truthful. Hundred percent. It's it it's it's that type of questioning which seems quite simple, and and actually it is, but is very powerful because that's what allows you to get to the core of of what that driver is. And, you know, in a business context, it's not dissimilar to when I was working in consulting and digital transformation and we were doing a lot of, you know, user research and user experience design. And you call it prodding the client with the why stick. You know, you say that you want this technology, for example. Why do you want that? Okay, well, why do you want that? And they'll sort of express that. Well, why do you want that? And you just go deeper and deeper to actually what it, what I really need is not necessarily what I've expressed to you that I want, but that's how you then provide the best solution to, to them in, in that context. And so I think it's it's quite similar to that as well, mm. right? Just getting underneath it all. Mm, exactly, yeah. So let's move on to your third. Um, <coughs> I've written them down as the three Bs. We've got <laughs> body, Ben, and boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk about the boyfriend. Yeah, so... Um, and I want to kind of sort of clarify, because I remember when, when I think when you and I were talking, um, I didn't want this to sound like um, the sort of culmination of all of this is, you know, having a boyfriend and being in a relationship and stuff, because it's not that at all. And I actually don't believe that. But it's more to do with the fact that I think over over my life, you know, my relationships had all been with the same person, right? The same, followed a very similar pattern. Um, I wasn't really fully able to be myself or to be authentic or to express my needs or so on and so forth. And, 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 in, and in great part, that was in the early days because I didn't really know myself very well. Um, and, you know, in, in other situations, it's because I just didn't feel comfortable expressing what I wanted or, or so on and so forth. So I think all of those things are tied together. But the reason I had said, said boyfriend was, um, you know, I moved to New York in 2005 with a boyfriend I was then with. And we were living together in London and he wanted to go and work abroad. Uh, and I was already working for McKinsey then and my um, uh, headquarters of the department I was working with were based in New York. So it was a fairly easy move for me, but I didn't really have any desire to go there. Like I had my structure, my friends, my family in London. But, you know, we lived together. I was like, I guess that's what you do. Um, and it wasn't 
a great relationship. So we split up very quickly after moving to New York. And then I was essentially single for the next 15 years, right? I mean, I dated, and but nothing that I would constitute as a, as a relationship. Um, but of course, you know, during that whole time was really thinking about one, you know, the type of relationship I wanted and the type of person I wanted. And actually, even before then, do I even really want that? Mm. Is that actually what I even really want? And um, I think it sort of took me a long time to get to the to the stage of thinking, actually, yeah, I would, you know, I, because I had got to the stage in my life where I didn't I didn't really need to be in a relationship or to have someone, but it would have been nice, right? It would have enhanced everything. It wasn't mm -hmm. going to complete me in some way <laughs> yeah. or, you know, any of that kind of crap <laughs> that we're sort of, you know, socialized to believe is true. Um, and so I think when I look holistically at, you know, not just, you know, we, we talked about, you know, body transformation and the process piece and Ben and becoming more relaxed and that kind of thing. I think along the way, it just really allowed me to, with everything else that I had done as well, just to become more authentic and to really understand what's important to me. And actually, in terms of relationship, what is important for me there? Like, what am I, what's my true value set and how do I want that to manifest in terms of relationship? And so I moved back. Um, actually, I took a, because um, I was in quite a sort of toxic environment at my last place of work. So I took a pay leave of absence in 2020, came back to London with a kind of thought that I wanted to move back there. I'd always, I'd been thinking about that for the last several years because my mum is still here and I mm -hmm. wanted to be closer Did to you her. Did grow up in London? I grew up in Epsom mm -hmm. in Surrey. Yeah, so not far from, from you. Um, but I wanted to sort of come back and spend time with my mum. So I came back at the end of 2019 for Christmas and I met Malcolm within two weeks and that was it. And um, yeah, everything just kind of came together. It's quite funny actually because I have a, a good friend of mine who's an astrologer and uh, I used to get her to do a reading for me every birthday. And the previous year, she she's very specific with dates and things. Mm -hmm. And she had said to me, um, in 2020, between January the 4th and 12th, you're going to meet somebody and it will be the relationship you've been looking for and it will, you know, be like a marriage and all this sort of thing or whatever. And I remember thinking at the time, I don't think that's going to happen because I'm going to be in Epsom in Surrey. It's going to be my <laughs> mum's birthday. There's just no way that that will, that will happen. But sure enough, we connected and, um, and then it just kind of got together. And so the reason I had mentioned, mentioned Malcolm was that for the first time in my life, it was a relationship where everything just felt very natural and I felt able to really fully be myself. Um, and it was, it was completely accepted and there was no sort of game playing or um, pretense or trying to second guess things. And I think in great part, it was, it was me feeling that, I mean, this is just who I am now. Right. And OK, if this doesn't go anywhere, I'm kind of OK with that. But, you know, it was it was more about me getting to the point of being able to live authentically in as full a way as possible. Like I'd sort of done that in uh, in pieces and different areas of my life, but not everywhere. 
But now was much more, no, this is the full. I want to live this way in, in all parts of my life. And being okay with the fact that things may not turn out the way that, that you might want them to, but that's all right. Um, and so I think just the, the sort of ability to feel a bit more natural um, within that type of relationship context um, just, like just really seemed to work. You know, I think we, we met each other at, at the right time, you know, and he will, he will often say that he'd had a conversation with his mum, you know, when we first met and she said, I feel like you had to go through everything that you went through in order to get to where you are today. And yeah. I believe the same thing, right? Yeah. So, so if you'd met 10, 15 years ago, it wouldn't have worked? I'm not sure that it would have. I don't think I even really knew who mm. I was then. Mm. And, you know, maybe he didn't either. And you know what's funny is probably a bit more than 10 years ago, so when I was living in London, I think we used to go to the same clubs. So we probably actually passed each other. Mm. You know, I sometimes I kind of like to think that that's the case. And, and the reason I mention that is when I talk about manifestation and I talk about creating a reality or attracting what it is that you want into your life, it's not that you're uh, conjuring something out of thin air. All of that is already around, this is my belief, all of that is already around us right now but it's just are you able to see that are you able to not just see that but are you able to receive that are you able to absorb that you know it comes kind of comes back to those rules of manifestation that it's one thing to ask for something but it's another thing to be ready to receive that mm. and so um like i say you know he already existed and the type of relationship I want always, always, you know, always existed, but I wasn't really able to receive that because I wasn't in that, in that place. And for mm -hmm. me, you know, people will always say things to you like, Oh, you know, it'll happen when you're not looking and you have to be really open. And I, I never really knew what any of that meant. And I'm, I'm still not sure that those are the right phrases, but for me, I think being open is just you being able to be who you really are and feel authentic and, and therefore you will then attract that that like experience into your life. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally, totally. So bringing all those three things together, the body, mm. the Ben, and the boyfriend, <laughs> you, when you moved back to the UK, mm. you um, set up working for yourself rather yes. than working for a big corporate. Yes. How's all of that manifesting itself, and I'm using manifesting, I suppose, in a different way, yeah. in your working life? Where What are you doing? Mm. Where are you going with your with your work? Tell me yeah. about that. Yeah, it's a good question. So I now spend all of my time focused on leadership development, capability development. I do uh, a lot of coaching um, and I specialize in, in diversity, equity and inclusion. And um, so I feel very blessed that I'm able to do that. But the way that it's sort of come together for me is I've had a lot of different jobs in my life. I've had a lot of different experiences, but the common theme for me has been to help people feel more authentic, help them to feel um, a sense of inclusion themselves, right? You know, are they being 
kind to themselves and mm. um, expressing that vulnerability to themselves and so on and so forth. I mean, I call myself a facilitator of change, but when I look at everything that I've done, it's all had that common theme. How do I help people feel more accepting of their selves and to live a more authentic life? And probably because, you know, for all of that time, I wasn't doing that myself, mm -hmm. right? You know, that's that kind of coaching joke that you attract into your life, what you're looking for yourself. Mm. Um, so for me, my, my, it really wraps up into the work that I deliver, which is that sort of combination of um, intellectual and practical, but also emotional. So, you know, you and I have talked about this before, but my coaching style is very much about exploring mm. the emotional aspects uh, that relate to uh, to someone's particular desire. I have a lot of people coming to me saying for coaching because they want to progress in their careers. And I'm like, that's cool. I can definitely help you. But we have to look at things holistically. Let's look at your life in its totality because what's blocking you from progressing may be related to family relationships or health or physical environment or something else. And not everyone is up for that, right? Yeah. People... You know, even for a corporate setting, clients just want to be told, what is it What is it that I need to do? Just give me a strategy. Tell me what this, tell me what my competitor's doing so I can do it. And it's like, it doesn't really work that way. And it's the same for individuals. So a lot of my work, I think I, I connect the, um, if, we, if we talk about what we talked about today, I want to introduce these sort of concepts of, um, living in the process, but also recognizing and valuing what you're achieving along the way, right? Because there's satisfaction to be had on that. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to over-index um, on, you know, in process, and you don't want to over-index on um, achieving goals, I think. So there's that process piece. Um, you know, the, the Ben piece, I think, is how do you sort of be a bit more detached, right? How do you get more perspective about what's really important to you? And of course, what's underpinning all of this is values. What are your values? Um, and then I think, you know, with, with, with Malcolm, you know, I use him as an example, but it's in terms of the relationships that I have in my life. How do you just be more authentic? How do you operate from your point of truth? And that's what I bring into uh, all of the work that I do, whether that's at the organizational level or the, or the individual level. So it's really encouraging people to, which is, is the tricky part, right, of any of this type of work, but looking at themselves with introspection and self-reflection um, and building relationships with those parts of themselves that they either don't like or are holding them back. Mm. Because when you have a relationship with those aspects, then you can much more effectively manage those. And you can choose whether you want to engage in that discussion or not, right? If you have a saboteur or an inner critic, you don't have to listen to that, right? But when we start to put something tangible around that, like what, what does my saboteur, for example, or my inner critic or whatever you call it, what does it look like? What does it sound like? What does it smell like? What, does, what words does it use? When we start to put some flesh on the bones, it becomes much easier for us to manage that. We can build a relationship with it. And then, like I say, you can choose whether you, you want to engage in that discussion or not, right? If, if I was to ask you what a uh, strap line or, a, you know, 
uh, a theme would be for your story that you've told? Can you think of one? I think what immediately comes to mind, I I, I, I will say this with the, with the caveat that I can change my mind later, right? That's I've the agreement. Agreed. Um, I think it's something like wherever you are, there you go. Oh, I um, love that phrase. <laughs> Because I that's one of my favorite. Yeah, um, I don't think that's even my. I don't think that's even unique, right? So I, I probably stole that from somewhere I else. I think but. it's John Kabat-Zinn. Oh, I is think. it? Yeah. Yes, that's a. Um, I may be saying that completely wrong, so I might have to cut that bit out. Yeah. <laughs> but oh. yeah, I'm pretty sure that's where it comes from. But yeah, I mean, I think it's just the idea that you know you you get there in the end, mm. right? And I and I think what we get so caught up on, caught up in, as you and I have spoken about today, um, is what are those expectations? What are the narratives? What's our definitions of, you know, X, Y, Z and that kind of thing? And I think when you're able to really um, strip away all of those things, you'll probably you'll probably get to where you ultimately will be a lot faster, yeah. right? But I do think ultimately you, you kind of get there in the end, exactly. or at least that's my hope. And I think that's my role in life is to help facilitate that journey for people to, to really to really get there, to get to where they want to, want to be. just gave you goosebumps. I love that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you one final question. Mm. Uh, looking from the perspective that you've got now, what would be a piece of advice you'd give to your younger self? And it could be your younger self at any age. It could be five years ago. It could be when you were a little boy, whatever. It's a, it's a really, yeah, it's a great question. And... I don't know if I'd be able to sort of articulate this very succinctly, but I, I think it would it would be to just to not be afraid, right? Just to to not be afraid to to be authentic. I mean, I think if you if you operate from your point of truth, then you very rarely, if ever, will go wrong, right? And and learning that lesson, I think, early on, but being able to put that into practice. Right. It's it's great having that knowledge, but knowledge is only useful in, in its application. If I'd been able to practice that, I think a lot uh, earlier, um, then I hesitate to say that would be better. But, you know, because I think I mean, I don't regret anything. I think regrets are for people who don't like where they are in life. And I love where I am and I love, you know, everything about my life. But um, but I would like for people to learn that lesson as quickly as possible, that it's okay, right? You know, this is a whole journey. There isn't a specific path for um, that everybody has to follow that's exactly the same. It's just your own, right? And that starts from you operating from your point of truth. So I think, you know, something around around that, you know, just, just to not be afraid, right? Because the world is not going to end, right? If you follow <laughs> a different path from everyone else or... Express a different opinion, so there's a lot of freedom and power and happiness in understanding what your values are, and as much as possible, living according to those. So thank you, Shiv. I have loved our conversation today. I hope you've enjoyed it too. I have. Thank you. It's very thought provoking. Thank um, you for being my first guest. Thank you. <laughs> Very exciting, very happy to be here. And uh, let's have some lunch because I'm starving. 
I really enjoyed this episode of the Secret Resume podcast. As you can hear, it was my first one and, and Shiv was a fantastic guest. I loved talking to him about fitness, about dogs, about boyfriends, manifestation and relationships, um, authenticity, inclusion. It's all in there. So if you did enjoy it, please do tell your friends so they can come and listen too. And why not think about subscribing so that you can find out um, and listen to future episodes. So I hope to meet you again on the Secret Resume podcast.